Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Frank and Oak, the leader in e-commerce and retail for creative young professionals. And as of September 20th, provider of Frank and Oak for women. Listeners of this podcast can go to frankandoak.com slash women to sign up for an exclusive pre-sale right now. Colin Horgan. Hello. I read you when you wrote for iPolitics. Uh-huh. You used to have me on Kevin Newman's show. Correct. When he had that show for a second. Yep. And you're a freelance writer now. You did something in between, though. Yes, I did. I was the speechwriter for the Liberal Party for the 2014-2015 season. You were writing for Justin. I was, yes. And now you're a freelance journalist. And now I'm back in journalism, yes. So, Colin, today we're going to be talking about a bunch of strange things in the Toronto Star. Okay, yeah. And we're going to be talking about the Heritage Ministry's uh, plan to redo everything or nothing or nothing either way it'll cost a lot of money in the CanCon regime good to have you here thank you this episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Tyler Allen Bratt Dorota Ziong Shelley Williams Hugh Mason Allison Porter Jeffrey Whitehall Jean-Francois Caron and Tim Anderson Tim why did you decide to be awesome because I really enjoy the variety of topics and that your guests bring different perspectives. 
I like hearing their thoughtful takes on the stories the mainstream media chose to cover and the ones they chose to ignore. This episode is also brought to you by frankandoak.com. Colin, you ever wear anything from Frank and Oak? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I wear it too. I bought it for myself before they became a sponsor. I've bought it both online and in their store. And my wife has gotten me some Frank and Oak clothes as gifts. Now they are launching their first ever women's collection. Frank and Oak has become a leader in e-commerce for retail for creative young professionals. This September 20th is when it launches their first ever women's collection. It'll be live with limited quantities available. Frank and Oak is drawing inspiration from the passionate mindset and laissez-faire style of today's entrepreneurs, featuring strong foundational pieces and detailed craftsmanship. So look, if you want to have a look at these clothes, then you can check it out right now at frankandoak.com slash women. And for listeners of this podcast, you can sign up to an exclusive pre-sale. Go to frankandoak.com slash women to have a look and learn more. The collection launches on September 20th. Quantities are limited. Check it out. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This is the headline from last Saturday's Toronto Star. Canadians favor screening immigrants. Mm -hmm. Of course, the context for this is uh, once again, somehow, as if like that kind of dog whistle sort of thing wasn't uh, proven to be poison for the conservatives enough, mm -hmm. it's come up again. Yeah. And now we have data from the Toronto Star. Allegedly. Okay, data. <laughs> you want to call it that? Science, man. Yeah. Because there was, what was it, 67%? There was, you saw it's a number. Yeah. And the Toronto Star is telling us, well, all of you people who feel that this is issue is dead and gone and Canadians are very progressive. I, I don't know, this is the implication for me was like, in point of fact- Mm-hmm. We favor screening immigrants. Yeah. 
You took issue with it. I think that, well, the main contention is just that, the, look, the headline, you want to write a good headline. If you're the Toronto Star because you want to sell a newspaper, fair. But the headline suggests that we don't already screen immigrants. So if you're just passing by this on the newsstand and you didn't read the full story in which they get into the forum poll a little bit more and the backstory about Kelly Leach introducing this idea that there should be a values test for new immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. It feels like a response to you, Kelly Leach. Right. You might assume, well, wait a second. Do we not already screen immigrants? This seems shocking. So I think just in terms of the headline taken in and of itself, it seemed a little, just a little provocative or a little bit misleading, I suppose. I love how people are so forthright on Twitter where we have to condense our thoughts. <laughs> it wasn't a little anything. Yeah, you, I, I you called it garbage. You, you said yeah, it was garbage. I said it was garbage. I yeah. think you also said they should be ashamed of it. I believe I did say because that. Because it didn't yeah. insinuate that we don't screen immigrants. Like It basically pointed you directly to that conclusion. If you read that headline, it's telling you we don't already. Sc- of course we screen immigrants. Yeah, right. The thing that bothered me most about it is that if you took a poll and 30% of the people said, the world is flat. What's the story there? Is the story that, well, hey, we should really take this 30% opinion kind of seriously and present that as the headline? Or is it that like 30% of people don't know what they're talking about? Mm -hmm. And in this case, I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive of 67% of the people who responded to this poll, but maybe they don't know very much about the immigration process. Maybe the story is that Canada's immigration process is completely unknown. And the only reason something like this gains traction is that nobody has any idea how immigration works in this country. Well, if you had been one of the people asked that question... I don't think I would have responded. You just would have said, I'm not going to respond. Yeah, I think like the whole problem with polling is sort of useful in some cases, but people assume that their opinion matters because a pollster is calling them. But if you don't know anything about a situation... And again, I'm casting aspersions on everybody who responded to this poll, but let's assume you don't know anything about this particular topic. Why are you responding to a poll? Uh Why does your opinion matter? It kind of doesn't. But wait a second. I have no agenda in asking you this question, Colin. Okay. Do you support screening of immigrants? <laughs> yes, of course. We already do that. Right. Yes, I mean, who wouldn't? Exactly. I mean, no, don't well, ask them any questions. Yeah, why, don't, why don't we just screen for murderers and thieves? And, you know, I mean, the story itself is, you know, they have a few voices in here. And look, Bruce Campion-Smith is a good reporter. I like him. In the rest of this story. Now, this is an editor's decision. Of course. This is What uh, I'm saying is yeah. I don't I like the story itself. He finds voices that say, this is ridiculous, and like, this is a dog whistle, blah, 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 fine. But right at the beginning of it, it says, the poll revealed, when asked to choose the values respondents believed are important, equality came out on top, followed by patriotism, fairness, and tolerance. What on earth does any of that mean? Patriotism, other people made this point, but how are you supposed to be patriotic to a country you're not yet a citizen of? What on earth is this poll about? The poll is one thing you can question the motives of and the phrasing of, but the star's decision to position it the way they did and frame it the way they did, it's really strange, especially when you consider that the Toronto Star is largely known as, you know, a uh, lefty, social justice warrior, crusading, uh, aggressively Mm finger-pointing bastion of the left, right? And yet I feel like that description of the star does not fully encompass the tensions at work at the star because the star also has this idea of being a family newspaper for Joe Blow Canadian. And I I feel like they have lost the plot as to who that person is and what that person wants and what's going to speak to that person. But that actually might be fair if they have, because who is regular Joe Canadian? Yeah. That is a struggle for most media. Like, who is your audience right now? I don't want to say that's an unfair criticism, but I believe that they are no worse than anyone else in that. 
that you are trying to target people who are going to buy your newspaper. That's a really small market now. Uh, It's a pretty confusing time for targeting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is where mass media is so vulnerable is that they have to kind of like create some composite reader and there's just no such thing anymore. So the star is fragmenting. They've got their star touch voice, which is tone deaf and they've got their front page of the print edition voice which is also tone deaf and they're tone deaf in different ways yeah, and nobody everybody knows. is right yeah. like there's no in this particular instance they were slightly tone deaf according to you and i people who are let's call ourselves experts for the case of argument but you know <laughs> you're on your own but you know like Maybe that really, maybe they nailed it with a bunch of people. Maybe they sold a bunch of copies. Well, let's I mean, leave. I don't know. We're going down a rabbit hole here, but what is their responsibility? Is it to their shareholders? Is it to the reader? Like, it's a little like window into that debate. Their responsibility me. is to truth, color, to accuracy. Yes, no, seriously, of like, the tone thing is interesting to me because I, I think it's just like interesting to see them tie themselves in knots trying mm-hmm. to figure out what the hell they are anymore. Sure. But from a factual standpoint, from their basic premise of news, is here to give you information that's accurate. This is another Toronto Star story, like the HPV story. Uh, which was a disastrous story that they uh, ultimately tore down. Donovan is the only one left who, Kevin Donovan, the reporter who stands by it, uh, the editor, I think, of that story because it was from his investigative unit, that everything in the story is factually accurate. Just as with this one, everything in the story is factually, technically accurate. Mm-hmm. But any reader of the the, the the package, the photos, the quotes, the headline of the HPV story would think, I'm not going to give my daughter the HPV vaccine because she's going to die. And anybody who read this would think, oh, Kelly Leach isn't so crazy after all. And this country really does want uh, some sort of Canadian values test. Yeah, it lends a lot of legitimacy to her argument, whether they wanted to or not. And you would think that there is no screening of immigrants, which is actually a dangerous idea. That, well, I guess we need to veer to the right because this liberal government isn't screening them at all. It's just showing up at the airport and hugging everybody yeah. and not asking them, you know, uh, if they've got a gun in their back pocket. The, uh, yeah, the idea that people are just being waved in. I mean, anybody who's gone to an airport as a Canadian and tried to get back in the country after you've been away for more than 10 days. As a Canadian, you get asked a number of questions about where you were and who you were talking to, how much money you spent and all those other sorts of things. Like, if you're not already a citizen, they're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, just... Yeah, just walk in. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It's cool. Just, uh, you know, we got a job for you and a house. Like, no, no, <laughs> come on. Let's keep talking about the Toronto Star. Okay. And I, I can anticipate the mail already. Look, it is a Toronto newspaper, but it is the biggest newspaper in Canada. And I think that its story is, to a certain extent, the story of newspapers, but I won't try to justify this any further. We're just going to talk about the Toronto Star because that has gotten my attention okay. this week. It's sort of a combination of little things I've been noticing. I don't know if we could fit that big headline. I mean, that big headline was conceivably consistent with this picture that I'm going to try to paint of a Toronto star that is in desperate freefall. And it's been in desperate freefall for a while and there's just been more layoffs. And But something this week just seemed like, wow, you could just read through a paper and get a sense of just, uh, I mean, there's a fine- It's not confirmation bias, is it? It could be because it's not like they didn't have headlines like that before. Right. But I read that and then I read this uh, travel feature. Yeah where uh, food writer Jennifer Bain went to Detroit. Mm-hmm. You read that? Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. Why did you think it was funny? I actually laughed out loud at the line about having people get on the people mover in Detroit. Have you been on the people mover in Detroit? I haven't. It's a monorail that goes in a circle around the downtown area, <laughs> and it's like public transit. It's like telling someone to go to Vancouver and take the C bus. You're on a bus, is basically, <laughs> like, it's nice. 
but it's a buzz. All right, let's give people a sense of this piece. And like, look, I know what a travel feature yeah. is. Travel features are service journalism. It is not a big shocker when you read at the bottom of the story that the travel was subsidized by by, De- by Detroit's travel bureau. Michigan's. At- Jennifer Bain was hosted by Travel Michigan, correct? Which didn't review or approve this story. That's just how it's done. Mm-hmm. And you put stuff in the travel section when you're saying, we endorse this as a place to go visit. Yeah. That's all fine. But let me just read something. Okay, the headline, sure. Detroit is America's great comeback story, is the headline. Detroit is infused with art and a buzz with transformative change. Come experience the artist-led rebirth now, and you'll find a city full of passionate people. Welcome to Motor City, the pilot said when we hit the tarmac. Welcome to Art City, is what he should have said. And it continues like that. Mm. And I've read Jennifer Bain's food stuff, and I think she's a fine journalist. This read like a brochure to Mm -hmm. me. If you were at that travel bureau in Michigan saying, how do we get people to come visit Detroit? All they think of is bombed out buildings and just economic ruin and another great American city that had factory labor based. There was a population here that did quite well for many, many decades. And Mm -hmm. that industry is gone. and, Mm -hmm. And the city is just a burned out hole. Well... Let's rebuild a few square miles of the downtown core, rebrand ourselves mm-hmm. as an artist. But that's haven. sort of true. That is kind of true. They did right? that. Like, yeah, and, and it is kind of an artist haven now. If you're talking about the footprint of just like a very small section of downtown, yeah. I don't doubt that everything she writes is true and that it is like they've, they've created a bit of a, uh, a manicured little garden of, of downtown Detroit. And, mm. and in fact, she writes... There are 500 security cameras. Yeah, that was a bit weird. So it was a weird <laughs> dissonant story for me because I'm reading about how wonderful it is. And there's, and there's just like white guys with beards like mine playing banjos and they'll make you artisanal French fries and shit. Mm-hmm. And then it says, stop feeling sorry for Detroit. Stop being scared of Detroit. Yeah. There is another story that is inferred. Of course there's another story about Detroit. <laughs> I guess my question would be there. Could there not have been a section where you sort of elaborate on what the problems of this downtown core actually are. Why is it important that there's an artist's community there? There's all these hints, as you say, like, you know, don't be scared of it. But you never tell, she never sort of says, like, be scared of what? It's just positive for positivity's sake. It's not like this is good because there's this of something hint of else. some. Yeah, something. it's really weird. It actually makes it sound scarier because she doesn't talk about it. But again, like, what is the story about? The story is about going to Michigan or going to Detroit and enjoying it. So, to sort of be fair to her, like Detroit's a nice town. She's yeah. a lot of the things she talks about are true. There are little enclaves of downtown you can find very cool places and hip sort of joints and hangout spots. And the baseball diamond is really nice. And Greektown is kind of cool. And there is a huge pocket between all of these things where there are just like a giant a number of abandoned buildings. But you know, it's a travel feature. She's obviously not going to talk about. That I, I mean, I, I, don't I, I don't know, and I don't think it's something that I could find out. Um, and I don't want to insinuate anything. The truth is, I don't know the answer to what is sort of the hanging question over this, which is to what extent have these travel bureaus right. influenced the story? So, your question is with the problems at the star, what is it that like you're contending that they are shopping out their writers to people who want to pay them to write nice things? Is that what your contention is? I mean, the travel features, as you said, have existed for a long time. Okay, so this is what I'm getting at here, okay? There are a few things that raised flags for me that went beyond what I'm used to in terms of there is this relationship between the car section of the paper, the travel section of the paper, the people who give freebies Mm -hmm. uh, so that they get written about who are also often the same companies who buy ads elsewhere in the paper. okay. And I think that there is sort of an unspoken thing of like, well... We'll buy ads and we'll provide freebies. Mm-hmm. We're not providing freebies so you can slag us 
you know, and I think that it's just sort of like things can go well and it can go well and the, and the journalists can have removed and they say, well, I wasn't bought. Yeah. I actually liked Detroit. Nobody yeah. was in my ear telling me what to, what to write. Right. So that's how it always goes. Yeah. Yet I'm reading the star this week and I'm seeing things like in that sentence, stop feeling sorry for Detroit. Mm-hmm. The word Detroit is a hyperlink. It links to visitdetroit.com. Oh, well. That's weird. Jesse, come on. Like, that's. No, I People I buy links, okay? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll keep All going right, here. Fair. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. There was another story uh, Shannon Gavani's celebrity coverage of TIFF. Sure. Shannon Gavani's TIFF transportation provided by BMW Canada. Yeah. Maybe somebody's going to say, Jesse, they've been doing that for years. I'm just going through the paper and I'm seeing that headline on the cover of the Saturday edition, which is just like an exploitative and incorrect headline. I'm seeing the intrusion of the sponsors, the advertising messages into editorial content in ways that are kind of like, it's always this encroaching thing. It's a little bit beyond Mm -hmm. just the little disclaimer at the end. In a hyperlink for the first time that I've noticed it, like this was also the week when there were more layoffs and Mm -hmm. um, Sean Fitzgerald, beloved sports reporter, I don't know anything about sports reporting, but when Sean Fitzgerald announced, you might have heard the Toronto Star is laying off talented young journalists. That is not entirely true. They're also laying me off. (laughs) And I look at this guy, I I don't read sports journalism. He's got like 17,000 Twitter followers, a massive following. People are saying, are you kidding me? You were one of the, like, I read you religiously. It's like, when you start to get rid of your most beloved writers- Mm -hmm. And the economic data that's public is just looking awful. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm hearing from behind the scenes is that it's worse than everybody knows. Can I ask you a question? Okay. There's a bunch of ads that run that you give at the beginning of this show, right? What is your relationship with Frank and Oak? Do they give you a deal? I think I never actually got free stuff from Frank and Oak. But that might be something people would want to know. That I get free stuff from my well, sponsors. Well, like your point being that the Detroit link being paid for by Detroit, maybe, right? Right. What's the difference between what you do at the beginning of this show saying, hey, go check out Frank and Oak or whatever, whatever company it is, and you'll get a freebie or whatever. What is the difference between that and what they're doing here? It's an excellent question. Okay. The difference is that I don't cover fashion or Frank and Oak in any kind of journalistic capacity at Okay. All. Okay. So they're travel writers who are taking freebies from travel people, from mm-hmm. the travel industry. She's a food writer. <laughs> <laughs> Writing a travel feature. Yeah, okay. Fair. This was a conversation that I had with the patrons of Canada Land when we hit the crowdfunding goal that it became my full-time job, mm-hmm. I opened it up for a conversation mm-hmm. and I said, look, I have enough money that I could like just pay my own salary and not take any ads. Right. Or I could take ads and grow the business. Right. What do you guys think? Right. And we had about a hundred respondents mm-hmm. and three of them said no ads. Mm-hmm. If I'm paying for this, I don't want to hear any ads. Fair. And a few people said, I don't care. Do whatever you want with the ads. Mm-hmm. You want to make some more money, hire more people. That sounds good to me. Maybe the show will get better. Everybody else said, I think ads are okay, but I think you got to be really careful. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can take ads for any products that have anything to do uh, with the media. Fair. So that's basically how we, we've been doing it. Right. Th- those are other guidelines and we should probably write them down and put them on the website. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, as far as John Fitzgerald, is, it, is that who it was? Who got uh, yes. laid off? Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're laying off people that people read. If you're doing that. Well, who's not, right? Like, again, I understand this sort of picture you're painting of the star, I would argue that you could say the exact same thing next week about post media or the exact same thing next week about basically anybody, right? Yeah. Like take your pick. I, I guess I'm trying to find the, the connecting thread here. Like they're laying off people who have a lot of readers, but you're also noticing the sponsored content. Well, all of it is consistent with if things are way worse than everybody even okay. knows and everybody is under incredible pressure to keep revenues up. And I think it would be a shabby end for a great Canadian institution I agree. if what is happening now is just a mad scramble to save money by getting rid of talent, maintain readership by 
publishing misleading headlines and pump up ad revenue by blurring the line between editorial advertising. I would, be very, I would, I would equally be very depressed. And we haven't even talked about the coffee yet. Let's talk about this coffee. I may have issues with all the other points you made in terms of just like the thread you're spinning here, but... Toronto Star launches headline coffee. Toronto residents love their coffee and they love reading the news. Now the Toronto Star is matching coffee lovers and one of their favorite pastimes with the launch of headline coffee. Some tronk level stuff here, isn't it? I think we are in the cockamamie scheme stage. I don't stage. know, right? Like what happened here? What is this? You know, uh, maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe what you if know, it like, works? What, what do we have? We we have a distribution network. Yeah, uh, we have uh, people. They well, newspapers and coffee that goes together. But uh, what if it works, Jesse? What, what happens, it, man? What a great idea if it works, right? We have uh, entered journalism <laughs> right at the time when people started to say, like, maybe the future of journalism is burger festivals, <laughs> subscription coffee services, parties. Twenty dollars a month seems like a lot. I'll just say that. <laughs> And it doesn't come with uh, a you don't get the you don't get the paper with it. No, that's the craziest thing is yeah. that you're not paying twenty bucks for your paper. No, it's, and it's a your branding coffee. thing. They've created it like a you're psychographic. Coffee. You're a Toronto Star reader. You know how to read. Maybe but I you also like, I like drink coffee. Yeah, I also go to a coffee shop. Like <laughs> it's a lifestyle thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can only assume this went through some sort of vetting process where they they must have focus grouped this or something. I don't know. It really came out of nowhere. I don't know, man. The actual Headline Coffee website, I mean, really, if you didn't know it was a Toronto Star thing, it's sort of difficult to tell who is running it. It just looks like a coffee distribution thing. What went into that decision? I mean, obviously, there's just there was some money in it. You know, there was, there yeah. was a way to... Uh, you to know, make, honestly, uh, if it saves the newspaper, great. And Colin, will it save the new? Like, I, I've just moved from trying I to make my know. point that they're in, like, like feeling like I was really trying to make a persuasive argument <laughs> to feeling like, oh, wait a second. No, they're in bad shape. And I don't know what they should do. I Neither don't do I. know. I don't know how they turn it around. I mean, without knowing the the internal real numbers of what's going on in the star, I can only speculate. Because you can't turn to some like other example and say, weird. why don't they do what the Chattanooga Herald Times Post leader observer champion? Yeah. Did. Like there is like, I don't know what the thing that they're supposed to do is. I mean, know? really, like, honestly, this whole conversation always gets back to this thing about news having shareholders. And it's like, well, if you're in it to make a profit, yeah. which, you know, you got to pay people and that, that's all fair. But if someone's sort of saying like, hey, you didn't make enough money this year with the news, that's always seemed very strange to me. I don't know. You, the news made money for many, many, many decades. I, you, I think you just jumped from the like, I'll shake my head about newspapers, but about news, news can make money. Just, oh, just, absolutely. I agree. You know, I agree. It can make money, but. No, I see what you mean. Good luck is all I'm saying. <laughs> Good luck and probably fire everybody at the top because nothing they've done has worked for about five or 10 years. Yeah. <sighs> Maybe it's great coffee. Colin. Yes. You uh, are once again a freelancer. Yes. When you have to get paid, you need to send an invoice. Have Am you... I being roped into an ad? <laughs> once again, yes, sir, you are. Oh, dear. I won't ask you to endorse FreshBooks. I will do that gladly. Okay. Because I've been using FreshBooks for years. I was a customer of theirs before they became a sponsor. And then I You're just- like a hipster with FreshBooks. I felt like it would be cheesy for me to say to them- well, now that you guys are a sponsor, can I get a free monthly? So I've been paying for it consistently. And, and now I got two accounts, one for myself, one for, for Canada Land. And it's very good value. That's good. That's good disclosure. What you just did full disclosure. Yeah. What's been great about being a FreshBooks customer, using this service for my billing, invoicing, taxes, everything, 
is that uh, I've been with them so long that I've seen the product grow. And it's like one of those great things where you're like, I wish they had a way to do this. And then they build it. That's happened again and again with the way that they handle capturing of invoices, taking a quick picture of, of a receipt, and then immediately converting it to a expense that you can just file alongside your invoice. And then as I've grown out to a business and paying people, it integrates with other tools. So we're now doing our payroll through FreshBooks. Check it out. You can use it for free for 30 days. And when you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you and you'll be doing this show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. Duly noted. Let's do it. Okay. So we've all known for a long time that Hunter Tutu had to leave, not because or not solely because of his drinking problem. Everybody in the media has known that it had to do not just with a workplace affair and not just with a workplace affair with a junior staffer, but a workplace affair with a junior staffer and her mom. That's what we've all been sitting on throughout the summer. And uh, Fife got it. Fife uh, finally broke the story in the Globe and Mail. And it's a rare instance where the phrase messy love triangle made a Globe and Mail headline. You don't see that too often. Hunter Tutu's messy love triangle helped spur resignation from cabinet. I think it's worth noting that this finally got out. I think it's worth noting that it took so long. And I was curious as to what finally changed that allowed Robert Fife to put this in print, I asked him and he said, it was about getting the right people to confirm what we knew, but were unable to report months ago. To reverse engineer the meaning of that is I think way beyond your casual newsreader. So you do your reporting and you try to find your sources, whether or not they're on the record, you know, because for the first thing you're trying to determine is, is it true? What happened? We all knew this was true. He knew it was true. He says it right here. We knew it, but he was unable to confirm it. Often you'll go through the steps of confirmation so you can not only report what is true, but show your reader how you know it's true mm -hmm. in the form of like quotes on the record. Right. He did not get on the record quotes that confirm it. He did not show his work. I I'm sure that what he's telling me is absolutely accurate. There are these standards that are sort of internal that are mm -hmm. about, well, I know it's true, but I need to get two separate anonymous sources, perhaps who are credible, uh, confidential sources. I know who they are, but the reader cannot. It's a weird thing, though, because often you're doing that to cover your ass in case there's a lawsuit. But of course, if there was a lawsuit, he couldn't reveal the sources. So it's like you're in this really strange territory of conversations reporters have with their editors mm -hmm. that all exists beyond a level of, is this true? Okay, run it. Right. Something else had to happen. You but know? that's why journalists are professionals. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, I think that there's a larger conversation about the way that we have created a very slippery and ephemeral and changing set of standards that change from organization to organization mm -hmm. as to what constitutes a professionally reported story. And it's all something that we would like to present as this is a professional matter. We have ways of, of verifying the accuracy of things. Of course, you can go through these steps and get your multiple independent verifications and still uh, come out of it with incorrect information. Mm -hmm. You can also get a piece of information from one credible source who is off the record and have it be completely accurate. Right. The ultimate test is, is it true or not? Absolutely. You can't be sued for something that's true. You can be sued for anything. Well, but, sure, but, but it, hopefully it's probably not going to work. Yeah. There's also an aspect of this. It's one that the journalists always get blamed for how sordid this is, but it's not our fault in the media that this happened. It's Correct. not our fault that this was misrepresented, maybe even a little bit by the PMO. 
or at least obscured, withheld. There was, uh, I think, some early messaging that there's, you know, there's lend no truth to these rumors, these these scurrilous rumors that are circulating. It's not our fault that this happened. And there was a lot of damage control and information management around presenting this to the public and to Peter Mansbridge in this gooey, feel-good interview in the veneer of something that people have a lot of compassion about, which is... Uh, Hunter Tutu's struggle with alcoholism, history of abuse. This sets him up nicely, if that was the sole extent of the story, for a comeback because everybody likes when somebody can overcome their personal demons and recover from alcoholism. We are less forgiving of somebody who has affairs with their junior female staffers and then that staffer's mom. So I can't imagine that Mansbridge was not aware of the truth of that when he did that interview. Where was the question about that? It's weird for all this information to be. Yeah, but if he didn't have it confirmed in the same way that Fife did, it's a speculative question. Isn't every question a speculative question? No, but I mean, like, if Mansbridge knew in the same way that Bob Fife knew that that was the case, then he might be able to ask that question. If he didn't know, what's he going to do? Is he going to call him a liar in the interview? Is he going to say, hey... I know that the real story is this. Why aren't you telling me the real story that I know? Like, that's ridiculous. I think that the question might have gone something like, is there anything else we should know about this? And what's he going to say? No. Great. That's on the record. Then. Sure. Fine. Is there anything else that's going to come out about this? And if he says no, fine. He's on the record saying no. Great. But the, the, the really, you're looking at this retrospectively. being like, hey, how come? So I knew and Peter Mansbridge didn't know? Well, I don't know. I have no idea. But you, again, you just, you just outlined the distinction between knowing and knowing, right? Yeah. Like, like if Peter Mansbridge is the, and we're going to get to him, I think, in a, in a minute on something else, but he's the lead anchor of a national broadcast. His job, you know, like in that instance was, yeah, sure, he could get him on the record saying no, but unless he's confident in what he's going to say in that instance, I think that it would be a difficult question to put to him. Well, I guess we're getting to a, <laughs> a, a tolerance for weird and difficult questions uh, question. But I, Colin, I, I had no particular plans to bring up Peter Mansbridge. Mm-hmm, but uh, I did. What would you like to duly note? Well, I'd like to duly note your story about Peter Mansbridge. Oh, please do. Um, about how much he makes, of which I have a few questions, but the main issue I had with it is your final paragraph, which begins, the phrase cash strap CBC has become a cliche, although the broadcaster is getting more funds, blah, blah, blah. It's basically a paragraph completely removed from the story, to my mind, that mentions that the CBC doesn't have as much money as they did. Yeah. How is that at all related to how much Peter Mansbridge makes? Oh, I think it's of uh, incredible consequence because we have been told again and again that Wise Dispatch is canceled. This mm-hmm. very inexpensive radio show that brought us foreign correspondents from around the world. Well, okay. because of the cuts to the CBC. Right. Why are foreign bureaus being dismantled? Why is local coverage suffering? Right. Why is the journalism So your in? suggestion is that Peter Mansbridge's pay is taking money away from another project. Is that it? Well, of course it is. How do you know that? Because if uh, as soon as he's off their books, they have that money again. Yeah, but that's not substantiated in this story. This is a misleading paragraph to my mind. Wait a second. I, I, I absolutely... Uh, I d- but you don't... But you don't you, like, the CBC has, has what they have and they, yeah. can, and they, and they make choices sure. about what to spend it on. Right. And they have very little accountability, transparency, or oversight. Okay. And, and, and the origin of this story is not really about Peter Mansbridge. It's about the CBC's refusal to disclose what they pay their top talent. Allegedly. A time when they are... No, that's not alleged. They have refused to disclose... No, I mean how much they allegedly pay. Well, they, they've refused to disclose the actual figures. Right. At the same time, they appeal to the public again and again and to the government again mm-hmm. and again uh, on the basis of that they are so mm-hmm. cash-strapped. Yeah. I think it is absolutely within the public's purview mm-hmm. to know what they're spending money on. Sure. 
and, which is why we published the story about Peter Matthews' salary. I don't disagree salary, with you there. And to speak up about what they want CBC to spend money on. So for the CBC to be crying poor while paying Peter Mansbridge a half million dollar plus pension till death, I think is absolutely germane. And in terms of establishing the public interest of the story, mm-hmm. that's why that paragraph is I there. see. I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I, would term, I would term this paragraph as speculative. What am I speculating? You're speculating that the specific money that he makes would otherwise go to things that the CBC wants. My contention no, I'm is that, quite sure they'd waste it on something my, else. Yeah, but my contention is that it's not necessarily true. Do I know for sure that that money is going to... I know it's a really semantic little weird thing, but it kind of, it bothered me. I was like, well, Jesse, come on. Like, you know, how do we know where this money is going to go? It's such a strange interpretation you it had is, of that. Maybe it is, but it, it doesn't it seem... It didn't even occur to me that I was suggesting that, to tell you the truth. It was just like, if somebody's going to cry But that's the point making, poor, right? No, if somebody's going to cry poor, and then mm-hmm. you find out that they're making like, they've got a gold infinity pool. Sure. You know, you're like, well, I don't know if I want to lend you that money. Right. Okay. No, I see what you mean. I just don't see that in the, substantiated in this story. You Like, you can't show me exactly... The relationship between right. the million dollar plus annual salary... Correct. I mean, they're just two facts that have a direct relationship with each other. I don't know how you would connect them beyond just stating that they exist. But uh, <laughs> listen, we all have our weird uh, <laughs> points that of contention, and I, uh, I have a right to mine. Yeah, and, fair. Uh, I just that was it, I was like, man, Colin, you have yours, so uh, duly noted. So the Heritage Ministry, oh yeah, is uh, just soup to nuts. Mm-hmm. Looking at the whole thing, everything's on the table. The entire funding model. For Canadian culture, movies, TV, digital, online news, everything, it's broken. They have said so. It's great to hear them say that. Mm-hmm. CRTC has said, hear, hear. Mm-hmm. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. Massive national consultation, huge expensive process to figure out how they are going to move forward and what role government has in modifying this system of protectionist measures, subsidies, tax breaks, Weird little, we'll tax your cable satellite subscription mm-hmm. and get put that into a fund to make TV. All of that. Mm-hmm. It's all up for review, mm-hmm. which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Weird story in the Globe about Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie. What she says in this story is that as a starting proposition for this whole process, we need to accept that there's nothing wrong with the quality of Canadian content. What else is she going to say? Wait a second. She said, our challenge is get going digital. Our challenge is selling this to the world. Our challenge is promoting this content. Yeah. Let's stop saying that the quality isn't there. The right. quality is there. Right. Hold your horses. Mm-hmm. That is a highly contestable assertion. Yeah. One might say, you know, a reasonable person like you or I, mm-hmm. that quality is the only real issue. Going digital, I'm sure everybody could figure out how to upload it to YouTube. It's making good stuff that seems to be the problem. Is it? Yes. Okay. Why? (laughs) Because the entire system has been orchestrated. No, that's the wrong way to put it because it's not the intention. But the entire system exists and the entire methodology of making a TV show or making a film Mm -hmm. has become completely warped towards getting that subsidy money, Mm -hmm. not towards making the best possible product you can. I see. That's what's happened. What we know is that we have world-class talent. What we know is that our talent is capable of work that is of the highest quality. But we have to somehow find a way to convert what is a subjective opinion, but also kind of a fact that most of what we make is garbage. Most. Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna really say. Most here and of say it is garbage. A lot of it is 
fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you entirely, but again, to play devil's advocate, is the majority of stuff created in an, any other market great? I think that it's a different kind of garbage. It's a different flavor of garbage. <laughs> okay. What flavor of garbage is it? Happy garbage, garbage that sells uh, commercial garbage. Right. And I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily something that we should be striving for, but it is at least sort of a coherent system where you slice and dice a marketplace towards there's going to be a top-end HBO, mm-hmm. people trying to make stuff of a premium quality. There's going to be stuff that is even maybe more virtuous but less commercial of a PBS nature, lower budget, then there's going to be schlock. Uh, You approach this as as a marketplace Mm -hmm. that has different Mm -hmm. needs. Right. What has gotten warped here is is art made for bureaucrats, art made to satisfy bureaucratic conditions. Yeah. That's what we need to dismantle. And I I don't know if you can dismantle that through more bureaucracy. That's what I'm curious about. Right. I mean, I guess I'm curious, your opinion, where you fix that like if we're capable of making this stuff and it doesn't turn out that way is it because the grant system is flawed is it because the cbc controls so much of it and they have a particular way to sort of target a canadian audience what is the problem i think that it's become a frankenstein situation where every you know because it's not like somebody created the system in seven days. Sure. There was the CBC, then you wanted to have the privates. Right. The privates were making CanCon, then the privates said, well, do we have to have it on in prime time? Right. And can't the Amazing Race Canada also be CanCon? And, you know, it, it right. just sort of morphed in a crude, and then it became this weird hybrid of, and then it was stuff I talked about uh, recently with Steve Faggy about how you can have a show where, because the nationality of the cameraman and the director is Canadian, the show does not need to be about Canada or set in Canada or right. any other way Canadian. Right. So what are you trying to solve for? And even that question gotten muddled because the problem you're trying to solve to a large extent is how do we continue to support this industry that we've created? Yeah. And then the other problem is how do we make good stuff? Sure. And the, the good stuff part is always the neglected uh, part. No, I think they're the same. If you make good stuff, it'll support itself. Yes. So if your contention, and I think that's what you're saying, is that the stuff is not good, what would the government need to do in your mind in this instance? First of all, admit that the, the content is not great, which no government minister is ever going to say. So good luck. <laughs> But let's say Melanie Jolie comes out tomorrow at TIFF and she goes, you know, hey, by the way, I just want to say everything is shit. Sorry, Canada. Like yeah. everything else that's here that's been made by other people is amazing compared to what we're creating. Right. Like, folks, let's admit Lord, it. Like, I've been listening to this podcast and I'm ready yeah. to come clean. <laughs> okay. So, so let's say that they admit to themselves the content is the problem okay. as you want them to do. Then what? Let me first answer as 25-year-old libertarian, Jesse. Okay. Just stop giving the money out at all. Sure. No funding system. No funding system. Abolish it. It's a loser's proposition that we need to protect. We need to protect. We can't compete. Right. We need to create these little industries. Sure. Bullshit. If you stopped with the handouts tomorrow, do you think that would be the last time anyone makes something in Canada? If you created the same conditions that any American has when they're contemplating starting a YouTube channel or starting Mm -hmm. a podcast network, Mm -hmm. you think that nobody would try that? Mm -hmm. You don't think that like 10, 20 years later, we might even have an industry Mm -hmm. that would achieve all of these goals that would employ people and make money and make good stuff? You would ultimately have that because the talent is here. Okay. What does 70-year-old Jesse say? (laughs) 70-year-old sellout uh, rationalist conservative Jesse. I don't know. What I would say now is that it is a violence to overnight pull the plug on thousands of jobs. 
the government should not be in a position of putting uh, an entire industry out of business overnight. Mm-hmm. And the damage that does. Are they in that position right now? No, I don't think anyone's. I don't yeah. think anyone is actually considering doing what twenty-five-year-old Jesse would have. Uh, okay, right. I see what you mean. Yes. Even though she's going to reform the system, all of the stakeholders are going to get in there and say, "Well, what about mm-hmm. these jobs? What about my studio? Mm-hmm. What about this? What about mm-hmm. that?" And whatever the new criteria is, they're going to find a way to meet it. And right. It, probably most of the money is going to go to the same people. Mm-hmm. So. 70-year-old Jesse is also uh, nihilist Jesse because the truth of the matter is I just have very little faith. But I'm also a realist who thinks that a little bit of progress is better than none at all. Mm-hmm. So some sort of a performance-based system. Performance-based? Performance-based. What does that mean? Unfortunately, I don't know if we can kind of make a government quality-o-meter. No, you know? not at all. So I think we have to go to the cold, hard marketplace and say, I'm sorry, but if what you're making is getting 10,000 views and costs $3 million, it's not a good investment. This is like a government death panel that, for media. That is, ex- thank you, exactly what I'm proposing. But do you, okay- but you just talked for like a while about all the things. Indeed I did. All the ways like this is a huge, it's a tangent, right? That is why this process is such a mess, right? That is why this is going to take forever. And this is why the problem exists in the first place. No one really has the solution. Your death panel is a solution that would never happen. But, you know, like... Wait, it's impossible to introduce any kind of accountability for audience impact? There probably already is accountability. I don't know. Really? Uh, probably. Name me a film. Well, for audience impact, possibly not. Okay. No, okay, fair enough. All right. So I think that sort of in keeping with our earlier conversation about the Toronto Star, the merit-based system you're talking about is what you're doing right now, right? Like the fact of the matter is that when all these places inevitably decline to a point where no one's buying them anymore and, you know, unfortunately, they aren't what they are now. Yeah. Unless they have some radical shift. There is a marketplace right now in this country for independent, crowdfunded or otherwise funded media to start filling these gaps. And those are entirely merit-based. YouTube, as you mentioned. Like, if you're looking for funding, that's a different thing. But, like, there are ways to make money making good content that people will reward you for. Now, more than ever, it's easy to do that. So are you on 25-year-old libertarian Jesse's side? I'm not necessarily on... No, because my theory for the CBC is it should become an incubator. Uh That its whole purpose should be to create programs like the ones that are being created independently with their people's own money or whatever, that you fund the CBC in part to deliver product for news product, but in part also act as a place where people can try ideas, gain an audience and be sent on their way. Colin, I'm so glad that we are completely in agreement uh, <laughs> because really we're not saying anything very different. Whether, no, not, not entirely. Whether it's the CBC or elsewhere, what role does government have to play in helping Canadians be popular on YouTube? If it has a role, then it should be about, you know, seed money to start a new project, yes. send you on your way. Is there money to come back to the trough? I don't know. If yeah. there is, I would argue that it should be like, I don't know, you don't want to get into a situation where it's like Adam McGoyan can come back and make his next movie, right. his next movie, his next movie. Right. So that happens when you start to reward the established players. Sure. I think that like, yeah, prioritizing the new, the newbie is, mm-hmm. is a good way to go and not creating dependence. You and I agree. Uh, yeah. I just don't have a death panel in my, in my scenario. Although if there were one, I would love to be on it to be quite honest with you. Thank you, Colin. You're welcome. That is your Canada land shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Colin, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter at CF Horgan. Our website is canadalandshow.com. 
Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. CanadaLand is offered for free to community and campus radio across this country, 28 stations so far in 28 different places. Russell Gregg handles that for us. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.